tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie and you're very welcome back to Tip Today. Thanks, Pat. Uh, keep your calls coming into Trudy on 1800-938-007. And that uh, text and WhatsApp is 83 Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors with me in studio morning, John. Good morning, friends. Well, what's it like out there? They don't allow me out once I get in. Is oh, the sun no, shining? No. Well, tra- it's threatening rain, it's, but it's nice oh, out there it? at the moment, yeah. Right, very good. Uh, you're going to talk to us about some cases that have uh, taken your eye over the last... Yes, uh, I was trying to catch wow. up on my cases. Uh, and there's a couple of them that are quite interesting. One of them that I think is interesting in, in the context of what's been going on recently with uh, the internet and Facebook and that was a, a judgment of the High Court but it was a settlement actually of a case before the High Court and it was a case involving somebody using Facebook and what they basically seem to have done is they, they posted, they were foster parents and they posted information about the parent of the child who was fostered, if you know what I mean, the actual parent and they appear to have also posted inaccurate information about it which gave rise to a defamation action against the foster parents, but also more significantly against the HSE. So they basically sued the HSE, the foster parents, for the defamation, for posting the information. And you may remember, we talked about this before, there's kind of two strands to your requirement when you get onto the internet. One is the whole uh, data protection side of things. And the second side of it, which is the much more serious side of it, is the defamation side of it. And when I say more serious, I mean it could lead to very significant claims for compensation. And, you know, I remember it was, I think, the Belfast trial we were talking about it. And I was saying to you that following the Belfast Belfast trial and the same thing applies with more recent trials as well is that people are inclined to go on Twitter and or Facebook uh, and all the various other social media and they seem to think for some reason that they're exempt from what are the normal rules of defamation and the irony of it is that in fact they're probably more exposed to the whole defamation scenario than in what would be the conventional channels, which is you either saying something in a public uh, place and or you you writing something down and putting it in a letter and or you putting it on a local newspaper or something, or a newspaper, full stop. And the reason for it is that one of the essential ingredients of defamation is publication. Mm. You know, and obviously, the wider the publication, the more uh, compensation would be payable. So if you think about something that might go viral on the internet, I mean, you can just imagine the level, a potential level of compensation. And I remember after the Belfast trial scenario, I remember some of the comments that were on Twitter that to me, and it was interesting as well. I mean, the other interesting 
part about it is that, you know, social media is hugely positive in a lot of ways. It can also obviously be very negative in an awful lot of ways as well. But the whole area of, you know, trial by media becomes very much more relevant when you get into social media. So in this particular case, the and this is not the only one because there was another one that I read uh, recently or fairly recently as well, which again involved uh, a local, I think, celebrity making comments on social media about an opponent, a political opponent, and them ina- they were inaccurate and therefore they were defamatory and they weren't covered by any kind of defence that you might raise. But the thing about that particular case that we're talking about, the HSE case, was the fact that they sued the HSE, which, if you like, opens a huge amount. And you might wonder on what basis would they sue the HSE by, you know, for a Facebook comment by a foster uh, parent. Mm. But the the basis in which they, sorry, the basis in which they made their claim against the HSE was that it was a matter for the HSE to warn and or train foster parents to ensure that they didn't, if you like, do anything in the context of breaching either privacy, uh, you know, making defamatory statements, or, you know, disclose Mm. the identity of the child. And did that stand up? It was settled. I mean, the case was settled, so you're not going to... Mm. It didn't, if you you like, get the full glare of legal analysis, but the fact of the matter was it wouldn't have been settled unless... The difference there, though, John, is that if you go on a local paper, a national paper, and you defame somebody, it's the paper that sued. Yes. Um, So if this goes up on Facebook or something, why, why aren't they suing Facebook? Well, that's a very interesting one, and that actually came up on the creator trial because if you remember they were landed into the high court the day after the decision was handed mm. down by the court or rather that the jury made the decision mm. not the court but the jury made the decision and in that particular case I mean that was a very interesting one from a legal conundrum situation is how do you address who's responsible mm. okay sorry just go back to the question that you framed I mean if I go on social media and I publish and use social media to publish a defamation, I'm going to be personally liable. If, and the question that you're asking is, is there any liability on the service provider or the, the person who provides mm. the service to give me the, the platform? The platform, as yeah. they call it, yeah. And the answer is yes, of course there is. But where the, uh, if you like, the defence or well, I mean, again, bear in mind that we're not talking about a civil case, we're talking about a criminal case. Yes. And uh, what I mean by that is that you're talking about contempt of court as opposed to mounting a civil action against Facebook. And so if we just park the fact that where you're dealing in contempt scenarios, mm. it's the court saying you're not respecting us and therefore we're holding you in contempt and that can carry a penalty obviously, which is you know, criminal in sanction. But if you take the, the, the gist of the question that I think that you're asking is can you sue Facebook mm. if there's a defamation there? And I think that's a very interesting one, which I don't think has yet seen the mm. light of day in the, in the context yeah. of. They're, they're the denying decisions. that they're publishers. 
they're denying that they are in a, well they're denying that they're publishers because they're saying that they've just afforded the platform for yes. self-publication so effectively it's like the newspaper or it's like you as a radio station giving me the mic whenever I want it mm. and I can switch it on and start doing my not that I would for one minute try and do it but that I w- that I do my mm. own program kind of thing mm. which is an interesting kind of approach to take I'm not sure you know from a legal point of view I think that there's a potential liability out there against Facebook in circumstances where they the publication is made and they allow the publication to stay there because, you know, you may remember, well, I'm not expecting that you would remember, but the last time we talked about this, we talked about the right to be forgotten, which was the ECJ yeah. judgment and ECJ being, sorry now, swat, uh, switching into jargon there, the European Court of Justice mm. made a decision some time ago when an Austrian took a, an action against one of the social media to the effect, I think it might have been Google and or Facebook, to take information down that was up there and basically said to the court, look, we're entitled to be forgotten. I'm entitled to be forgotten, you know, if I've made mistakes in the past, sure God, I shouldn't forever have to pay the penalty for them. And that established a protocol and a decision of the European Court of Justice. And the European Court of Justice says, yes, you do have a right to be forgotten. And therefore, under certain circumstances, you are entitled to make an application to a social media provider and say, take this information down. Now, if you, <clears throat> if you move that on to a situation where I go on my Facebook page... I better try and get the terminology right here. The wall, is it going on the wall or whatever? But anyway, I put something up on Facebook and I'm talking about Fran and I say I was on the radio programme today and blah, 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 and I utter some or write down some defamatory statement <clears throat> and under those and then you, you're now being defamed. Mm. Can Facebook kind of fold their arms and go, well nothing to do with us. We just gave them mm. the medium within which to make a publication. And that's their current stance. That is it? their current yeah. stance. And interestingly enough, it was also their stance in the context of contempt because what they said was, well, how can we do anything about it when, if you like, we don't know what's going to come up before it lands, if you know what I mean, on the Facebook page, number one. And number two, how can we be expected to, if you like block content when we don't know who the name of boy A or boy B or whoever whichever boy it was we don't know who it is so how are we supposed to be able to monitor this situation you know I think I think uh, personally I think that that's a little bit of a kind of sleight of hand I think Mm. by Facebook because I think that number one if I was issuing uh, proceedings against them for starters, if you think about it, or sorry, if if I think about it and I'm looking at it as a lawyer, I'm always going to, and funny because I had it in a case recently where somebody asked me the question, you know, if I don't know who I'm supposed to sue, but I know it might be A, B or C, what should I do? And I said, well, you go for A, B and C. That's the kind of well-established principle. Is It's like the blunderbuss approach. Mm. You just 
you know, issue proceedings as, against as many people as you, as you can. So if I was going to issue a case in defamation, I certainly would issue it and would include Facebook in as a defendant in it because I think that I, w- I would take the view that they have a responsibility to bring down, or as in take down, defamatory material once it's brought to their attention that it is defamatory, number one. And I would have thought that that's the very minimum if you like, benchmark for mm. issuing proceedings. After the judge um, called representatives of Twitter and Facebook before him, mm. in, in the case you're, yes. you're making reference to, mm. I thought he was rather benign to them. In, he in was, the end, yeah. I thought he was, but you see, I think, uh, does this sound somewhat judgmental, no pun intended, against judges? But you see, you know yourself, the whole area of technology and the internet and Facebook is all very, very new. And I mean, I I had to kind of think to myself that, you know, I know for a fact that Facebook have quite a lot of secondary um, companies that they mm. use mm. to monitor content as it, as it lands yes. on their platform. But the reason they're monitoring your content is for money, i.e. for money from, you know, profit from their point of view. To pinpoint advertising and all that kind of thing. So if they can do it for that, they should be able to do it for other But the excuse of not not knowing what's going to come up, I mean, if, if... John Lynch is speaking to me, yeah, and can. and I don't know that he's about to you defame do, yeah. somebody. I mean, I, I could use the same yeah. argument, you but could, that yeah. won't stand up no. because if John defames mm. somebody, mm. it's Tip FM is, is well, taking. Uh, well, I understand. Well, I mean, I don't understand, but uh, I mean, I would, I could imagine or envisage a situation where you would have a time delay of some description. You know, with the technology that they have, surely, you know, are we to believe that they couldn't, if you put some sort of a time lag on, even if it's a matter of, you know, two or three seconds, Mm. that they wouldn't have the technology to be able to, in some way, run all these algorithms. And I mean, if if they can run an algorithm that can literally know that I've been on my laptop two seconds ago looking for X, Y, and Z, and run to the extent that when I do a search, they will literally invite me to search things that they think I should be searching for. Are you trying to tell me that they can't? monitor in advance stuff yeah, that's coming down the track. It's interesting, but I, I just thought, I mean, they're not tough enough with them. I mean, I and think, again, no, I thought, I I, no, I thought I the judge was rather I think, with them, I think the time will come. Without yeah. a doubt, it will come. Right. The only thing I will say that I'm not sure what the situation, whether the BAI will end up with some control over this, but if they do, mm. um, it'll be a different situation. Oh, yeah. you know? But I mean, like, uh, again, it, it, it is quite interesting how things are evolving. I mean, you know, the whole area uh, of social media, I think, is fascinating from all sorts of perspectives, but certainly from the legal perspective, because you may remember as well when we were talking about this, it must be a year ago now, but when we were talking about this as well, I was talking to you about the whole area of the criminal law. Mm. And if we look at the various trials now that have come up over the recent past, like tragic kind of scenarios, yeah. uh, all subjected to social media, mm. viewing and looking, etc, etc. I mean, the real challenge, I think, for, for the system going forward, i.e. the legal system going forward, is how do you put some sort of measure of control mm. <clears throat> on social media 
on access to social media and then ask 12 poor devils and put them into a, a, a scenario where you're asking them to prejudge judge without prejudgment a trial on somebody where I mean it, it's impossible uh, yeah because I remember it was it wasn't that long ago when I decided to re- refresh on evidence and I was at a I was at a the tutorial <coughs> that the university gave a very good professor who knows quite a lot about the law of evidence but I remember saying to him during the course of the tutorial I said you know how are these old-fashioned rules of hearsay, inadmissibility, corroboration, all of the pre-1900 principles of law going to stand up to the scrutiny of social media? And the answer I got was silence because there is no way of knowing how they're going to stand up. And to a certain extent, I think, and it will be really interesting is the Law Reform Commission because we have a very good body of lawyers who sit down and look at the law and look at the development of law and mm. see what, if anything, we should be able to do on it. But I think they're going to have to rethink, you know, mm. the whole principle that... And funny enough, the principles you're talking about should be applied to social media. Oh, yeah, do you should know? be. It's, but how can yeah, you? Yeah, but how can you is yeah, the other question. How the, it's the how... All right, let me, let me take a break, John. We'll be back. Uh, you'll have another uh, case for us in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And welcome back. John Lynch is uh, still with us now. Again, uh, recently we've been hearing a lot about the statute of limitations, uh, John. Yeah, there have been really two very uh, seminal judgments, I call them. This is what we call them in the trade, if you know what I mean. But they were very... There's a lot of debate, you see, when they introduced, uh, in personal injuries, they introduced what we call the discoverability test. And basically, a number of cases over the last while found their way to the Court of Appeal. And the problem came up very much in medical negligence cases because if you think about, you know, when do you know that you have an issue vis-a-vis a medical treatment and or an operation or something like that. And you see, the law says that you have a certain period of time within which to take a case. This is what we call the statute of limitations. So there's a limit to how long you can wait until you do something about it, i.e. until you, in the legal sense, issue proceedings or start the clock, start your paperwork, if you know what I mean. And that's that's what where the statute comes into play. So, you see, <clears throat> for a long number of years, you had the problem, well, you had the problem, which was that the law would say, well, OK, we can't have people waiting indefinitely to deal with cases, and you can't have something coming out, say, 10 years later or 15 years later. So the law said, well, OK, we've got to try and do something about that. So it set up a limit period of time and it it applies in almost everything you know what I mean whether you have to take a case an unfair dismissal case where you have to make an application to social welfare or whatever there's always a time limit within which or if you want to make a claim of your insurance company because you you, you want to make a claim under your policy etc so there's usually kind of obligations in terms of time there so in terms of the statute of limitations what we'd been struggling with for the last 10 years or so uh, was the whole issue of 
if it's two years, but if it's two years from when, when does that two years start? Because the main thing to remember is that the fact that you have two years, it means you have two years within which to do something about it. So the question is, two years from what date? Is it the date that you left the hospital? Is it the date, for example, that you had the accident? Is it or whatever? So you had a lot of problems with medical negligence cases because, you know, when people leave the hospital, uh, you know, it could be sometime after that. And a lot of this came up. For example, the one one that kind of stood out was the um, Neary case. If you remember the Neary Mm -hmm. case, where quite a... Uh, a lot of women were subjected to unnecessary hysterectomies by uh, a surgeon. And the whole question that arose in that case was, well, they thought that it was necessary. They didn't know anything about the fact that there was an issue with it. And they thought that it was just kind of, I wouldn't say a standard procedure, but that there was nothing unusual about this particular procedure. So that raised the question under it was actually the act was 1991 and it raised the question of discovery and i.e. that you you take the case two years after the event or two years after you discovered that there was something wrong with the event so the event here was the hysterectomy and the question was when you know when did somebody, when did one of, any one of the women discover, if you like, that there was an issue with it, right? Now, so that was the very first kind of question was when, you know, and how do you find out when the clock starts to tick? Mm. You know, and in that particular instance, what made it complicated was that, and there were two cases actually that stood out on the Neary judgment. One case where the lady lost her case and the other case was where the lady won her case. And the interesting one from a legal perspective was how did you differentiate between the lady who lost her case and the lady who won her case and the the it literally caused quite an amount of discussion over the succeeding 10 years or so and literally within the last month or so i'm not sure that it was a month but within the last two months the supreme court revisited the whole area of date of knowledge, as in when does the clock start? And Finlay Gagan uh, was the judge who handed down this judgment, which I think to a large degree has cast some light on how you might go about deciding when does this two year run. And basically, in a nutshell, and this really is simplifying a 60 page judgment, but in a nutshell, what 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 the case was about was that somebody went in uh, to have an operation in the hospital, got MRSA, <clears throat> uh, came out very... That's the Ill, super bug in the, the hospital. Bug, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Came out of the hospital um, with MRSA, <clears throat> was very, very ill as a result, and some five or six years later issued proceedings against the hospital, right? So you've two years from the date, Mm. usually, to take the case. So the whole question that came up here was, was this person out of time? And the kind of chronology of it was that the interesting facts in it were that, okay, they came out, they had the MRSA, they were very unwell. Their mother, about a year later, was watching the telly, saw a programme about MRSA, 
there was an individual who was profiled on the programme. That particular individual used a particular solicitor who specialised in MRSA cases. The mother got on to the son. The son got on to the, the individual that the, kit, that the programme was about. The individual put this particular individual plaintiff on to person took on to the solicitor. Solicitor looked for the medical records, got the medical records. Solicitor then sent those medical records to a consultant, a specialist, and the specialist again, then gave the opinion. Some five years later. So it was five years later when they found they got a, a medical report. So that raised all sorts of questions about when should the clock have started to run? Because if the clock ran from the date that the individual right. got the MRSA, they're out of time. Yeah. If it ran from the date that the medical records were furnished, they were out of time. If it ran from the date in which they got the expert opinion, it wasn't out of time. So the whole thing, and it went through the High Court, went from the High Court to the Court of Appeal, went from the Court of Appeal to the, uh, right. to the Supreme Court. And, and before you give us the, the, the verdict on that, the, the expert opinion determined what exactly? Exactly, but that, ironically enough, that is precisely the question that you have to ask, because what the, what the law says, or what the section of the law says, is that you, you, <coughs> where you knew or ought to have known that you had a cause of action, then it's only on the date that you knew or ought to have known that the, that, that the clock starts to tick, right? Okay. So the question that you're asking is actually the, the, nut, the absolute kind of nuts and bolts of what this case is about, because you're saying, well, what exactly is it that I have to know in order for clock to start ticking. So what the court said in its very, putting it as very simplest was, okay, there's two scenarios. There's first of all deciding when did this person know and what is it that they needed to know, if you know what I mean. Mm. So take your first question first. The court said that you need to know not only that you had the MRSA, but also that the reason you had the MRSA was because of some ne- factual negligence on the part of uh, the hospital. Right. So that was the kind of... And the, the really, really interesting thing from, from on that is that the section in the legislation that has kind of... You know the way you put a block under a wheel and you go head out over the top of it? The block that has always been there under the legislation is that they say that you don't have to know as a matter of law that you have a case against the hospital for the clock, for you to be able to say the clock starts to tick. And that's where the courts and lawyers and everybody has been kind of falling over this block all the time. Right. So what the Supreme Court was saying was What you need to know is the fact that the MRSA was as a result uh, of something that was, if you like, suspiciously wrong 
are done in the hospital. Right. So not the MRI. So that client could go ahead with the case and... Well, and again, that's an interesting way of putting it because ironically enough, they, and this is where the Supreme Court was very exercised, was that it's some seven years since this individual started this whole process and he still doesn't know whether he's going to succeed against the hospital or not because they started it with what we call a notice of motion. They started with a preliminary point of law. So what they decided, uh, it must be five years, six years ago now, they decided to ask the court first, are we out of time? They didn't say, are we out of time? And, oh, by the way, are we going to be successful against the hospital? Because all that's been decided by the Supreme Court is that he's not out of time. He hasn't actually proven yet that there's negligence. And And, 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 memory is very tricky for that. And using that, judgment. Hmm. Is there a retrospective on that? I mean, can other people say, whoops, I didn't know that and if I did, I would have. Well, yeah, there is always a retrospective on knowledge because you can always say that oh, well, I didn't know, but but, the absolute but on that with a B-U-T all capital letters, is that you have an obligation under the section under the ought-to-have-known section of it. In other words, if you should have started to make inquiries at a certain point in time Mm. and you didn't, you'd be fixed with the knowledge.